Welcome, Austin and Jim. We've been writing a lot recently about the goings on, and it's almost like you can draw in Africa, you can almost draw a line across Africa uh, below the sub Saharan. You know, we've got things going on in uh, Somalia, Ethiopia, South Sudan, the Central African Republic, Nigeria. Um, the Western Africa seems a little bit more calm, except for uh, uh, Mali. But we've got Islamic activity, radical Islamic activity in all of those countries, uh, Jim. What is behind this? Why do we see this? It seems like uh, the the expansion of Islam had just never stopped in Africa. It's been continuing. Well, it hadn't really continued. It came to a screeching halt and went into reverse uh, when the French invaded uh, northern Mali in uh, 2013. Uh, but what they've done is they've, well, first of all, Al Qaeda in general, worldwide, has, uh, as part of uh, Osama bin Laden's legacy, become business like. In other words, they found ways to make money. And in many cases, and this is actually part of the ancient, you know, transition of uh, resistance groups into gangsters. You know, the IRA, the mafia, you know, there are any number of uh, groups all over the world who have evolved like that. Um, and Al-Qaeda basically uh, found that uh, you need money. Well, they always knew you needed money. That's why Bin Laden, it's called the base, and that's how that's how and why Bin Laden founded it in the first place. Um the Al-Qaeda basically makes money by uh, kidnapping and uh, smuggling, mostly smuggling. They basically uh, control the drug pipeline uh, from Central Africa, where, where basically it's, it's uh, cocaine imported from uh, South America and other drugs produced locally. Uh, they get it up through uh, to the uh, Mediterranean coast, where it's then smuggled into uh, Europe. The... Um, uh, the other groups in uh, in in sub-Saharan Africa are actually the product of the failed groups of North Africa. In the 1990s, there were major uh, Islamic terrorist uprisings in Algeria and Egypt. Uh, both were defeated uh, with great loss of life, especially in Algeria. And the remnants uh, either fled to Europe, where some of them occasionally show up, you know, doing, you know, load wolf attacks or what have you. Um, and a lot of them went to Syria and Iraq and died. Uh, the nice thing about, the one nice thing you can say about, uh, you know, modern Islamic, uh, you know, uh, terrorists is they self-destruct. Um, but, and, and they, and goes out. But the West, Westerners tend to lose sight of this. 90% of the people they kill are fellow Muslims. Uh, you know, before they, uh, before the, uh, you know, the oil uh, came about and, and basically provided more financing for Islamic terrorism, it was closer to 100% of the, uh, the casualties were, uh, fatalities were fellow Muslims. And it really wasn't covered much uh, in the Western media. Of course, there was no Western mass media until the early uh, 19th century. So this has been going on for a thousand years, over a thousand years. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it just, you know, as, as a student, any student of history will say, well, what's new about this? It's been around forever. But, hey, you know, if you're in the newspaper business, you got to generate headlines. You do it any way you can. And dead bodies sell. Uh, the uh, ISIL, 
on the other hand, which is actually the most one of the most active, uh, how should I put it, franchises, uh, is in Nigeria, is is the most murderous. Uh, in fact, I think it was in 19, uh, 2015, uh, the, uh, the 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 is the Islamic terrorist group that killed the most people in that one year was uh, Boko Haram, which is a which which at that point wasn't all all ISIL, but it was it's now mostly ISIL, about two thirds or whatever you know ISIL. Um, the uh, the problems in Africa and all throughout the Muslim world are bad government, corruption, uh, and all everything that goes with it. People have a lot to be angry about, and there are always, uh, you know, uh, imams, you know, religious leaders who basically preach that you know well, corruption is bad, which it is, uh, and you must should be righteous, which you should. And yeah, you know, the Quran has their version of the Ten Commandments at the end of that. I think you should do. Um, and uh, this is about around this forms a group of uh, defenders of the faith, the true faith. It's always the true faith. And uh, they go on a rampage. They're all wiped out. And you wait another generation or two before it starts all over again. Um, so these little groups have been popping up in Islamic sub-Saharan Africa uh, for centuries. And uh, but now, with the worldwide communication and more money in, in general being available, uh, especially in Nigeria, which has a lot of oil wealth, um, it's easier for people to find out about what's going on and to get a taste, as it were, of what could be if their own governments weren't so damn corrupt and stealing most of the, uh, the oil revenue and just mucking things up in general. Uh, so, after the 1990s, some of the, uh, obviously some of the Al-Qaeda went south to set up the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the cocaine, the, you know, the drug uh, smuggling business. And in doing that, they basically helped found uh, local uh, Islamic uh, terrorist groups. Uh, Mauritania, in Mali, uh, and here they again were basically uh, uh, you know, uh, building on uh, local grievance groups. In Mali, it was the Tuaregs who are uh, who related to the Berbers, who are related to the ancient Egyptians. Anyway, these are North Africans, uh, but the Tuaregs always resented. Uh, being ruled as it were, especially after uh, the in the colonial period. Well, after the colonial period ended, when Mali was thrown together, uh, the uh, the Tuareg tribes and some Arabs up in northern Mali, Timbuktu, a legend and and, a, and used to be a big tourist attraction. Um, these were primarily, uh, you know, North African, uh, Tuareg and uh, and Arab area. Uh, uh, areas, thinly populated, but uh, they already had an organized resistance, and and it didn't take long before one Tarag leader said, hey, let's let's go on a jihad. Let's not just, you know, fight for our freedom from these these uh, these sub-Saharan Africans, these Bantu peoples down south. Um, and they or- they got organized. Well, they didn't really get organized, but they got organized enough to basically throw the, uh, the, the government forces out of northern Mali. Then they got organized, and then they got defeated by the French. Uh, a French leading a force of a few thousand, you know, uh, troops, mostly French initially, and later uh, uh, peacekeepers from uh, adjacent, uh, you know, uh, uh, sub-Saharan, you know, Sahel uh, countries. Um, 
they are still fighting, but not nearly as much as they were 13 years ago. So it's all relative. The news makes everything look like it's huge. Uh, so you get a very distorted view of exactly how much mayhem. Now, in Nigeria, it was a lot. There's no, again, they don't, they, they, they sort of equate mayhem with Mali, uh, you know, uh, the mayhem in Mali with the mayhem in, in Nigeria. It was no contest. It was huge. You know, we're talking thousands and thousands. And they're still doing it in Nigeria. Uh, but to a much lesser extent than they were, you know, a few years ago. Um, and uh, so you've got a third group, Al-Shabaab in Somalia. Now, they've been in business uh, ever since, well, again, you know, colonialism ended, uh, Somalia became independent. The problem was Somalia's natural state was never unified, uh, a unified country. Big mistake. Of course, the, the colonial powers uh, felt, well, they had no choice. They couldn't return it to its, its pre-colonial uh, situation because that was chaos. Uh, well, it went that way anyway. You can't, you know, you, you know nurture versus nature. Nature took over. And... Um, through a, uh, well, Black Hawk Dam, we're all familiar with that, uh, fighting to uh, to allow uh, foreign aid to get in. That's what the Black Hawk Dam thing was all about. Um, the uh, the starvation continues. Uh, the area is prone to uh, uh, regular uh, droughts, which in the past would kill off the population. But with the uh, in the 20th century, the foreign aid operations became so efficient, they could basically rescue most of those people. Um, and that led to a huge pop, uh, you know, a, a population explosion. So the droughts were even worse when they came along. Uh, anyway, they developed a Al-Qaeda. First it was a Al-Qaeda affiliate. And then, uh, and that stayed that way in, in, uh, in Somalia. And near Al-Shabaab, there's a small ISIL contingent uh, further north in Puntland. Uh, and they are, again, basically news generators. They're not really a threat to any, you know, government. Uh, they're, they're, they're basically religion-based uh, organized bandits. Um, and they, they basically live off banditry. There's no other way to put it. Uh, and, and there is not a lot of this uh, Islamic uh, terrorism outside of the countries just south of the Sahel, south of the Niger River. In other words, uh, once you get into areas like south of the Niger River where you have water, you know, where you have, uh, where you have uh, persistent greenery, as it were, um, you don't get a lot of the, uh, the Islamic uh, terrorism. Um, but it does exist, and it will persist, again, mainly because of the, uh, the corruption. Uh, there's not a lot of money in, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, except in Nigeria, and to a lesser extent Angola, where there's oil. But as the Nigerians have discovered, to their credit, they've gotten their act together, they got rid of, uh, in the 90s, they got rid of one, uh, the persistent dictatorship, uh, kleptocracy. Uh, they've got elections going again, but the, the, the corrupt politicians are organized. Uh, they basically hire PR firms, they have their own private gangs, that's a fairly typical thing in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and, uh, and they basically can manipulate elections and get elected 
get reelected. Uh, there's a uh, there's a, uh, a a president in Nigeria who's a reformist. He's a true reformist. He's he's enacted many reforms. Unfortunately, he's a Muslim, and he's a Fulani. Now the Fulani are important because they are a major uh, uh, herding tribe, as it were, uh, pastoralists. Uh, they basically live off you know their herds of, of uh, animals, you know, cattle, you know, goats, what have you, and. Uh, they have uh, the uh, the same problem with the droughts, but they need grazing land. And of course, as far as they're concerned, farmland, whether it's growing crops or not, is perfect for you know, grazing land. So you have bloody wars. Uh, they don't get much in the headlines because they uh, they don't involve Islam directly. Although the Fulani now are going over to organized um, uh, Islamic terrorism, and they're amazed that they're. There's a the, the uh, you got the uh, the AQ uh, AQAP the the Al Qaeda in the uh, in the Arab what do you call it Arabian no 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 I call it in the Islamic Maghreb that's the North African Al Qaeda coalition which is now basically spread down into central you know sub-Saharan Africa where there you have JNIM which was formed I think it was last year. And that's basically a coalition of the, uh, there are three or four groups independent, uh, but inspired by Al-Qaeda, uh, groups down there that decided that, uh, you know, they either get got together or were going to be crushed one after another. And they are causing more problems. But again, nothing more than the occasional spectacular attack. The, the thing is that they understand media. If they make an attack that makes the headlines, makes the TV news especially, and, and gets a lot of play on the internet, they will get recruits, they will get money. In other words, what the, that's their oxygen. If they can't breathe, they can't live. So they have to get media attention. Uh, I mean, this is an old problem, you know, which no sense rehashing, and there's nothing you can do about it because that's how the media works. Um, the the thing is, the uh, um, uh, that's the mainly what's keeping these things, these outfits alive. Uh, but they are not a major problem in stuff in Africa in general, as they are elsewhere in the world. In other words, the local what few remaining local uh, you know local uh, Islamic uh, terrorism groups there are have gotten organized and they survive largely by concentrating on making enough money to keep going. And of course, what happens there, what's already happened with uh, with AQIM, uh, is there are, you know, uh, how should I put it, uh, uh, corruption. <laughs> it's spread, you know, even the best of us. Uh, and there have been incidents uh, where prominent members of these groups have disappeared with large chunks of money. So that, and of course, that's a problem the Islamic terror groups have always had. It's not unique, it's not new. Uh, uh, but it comes with the territory. Um, so the situation in, in uh, with the Islamic terrorism in in, <laughs> in 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 Africa is it's there, but there's not much of it actually. And in, in below Mali, there's not much of it at all. You go into South Africa, uh, Angola, uh, you know places like that. Uh, there's really none of it. I mean, there are Muslims down there. There are just few of them. Uh, you can see a pattern here. The fewer Muslims you have, obviously. The less Islamic terrorism you're going to have, uh, but where there are significant uh, Islamic you know, populations, Mali is is ninety some percent you know uh, uh, 
uh, Muslim. And Nigeria is about 50-50, but all the Islamic, almost all the Islamic terrorism is in the northern half, uh, which is uh, where most of the Muslims live. Um, so there it is. You know, it's a pattern which you see repeating itself around the world. Uh, and, of course, you know, people don't realize, why doesn't Singapore or, or Japan have any Islamic terrorism problem? That's because they won't let any Muslims in. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, that sounds rather brutal. Uh, but it works. Um, and if you let them in, you get Islamic terrorism. It comes with the territory. It's been the curse of Islam for a thousand years. So this is nothing new and nothing that's unexpected. But there you go. People are people. So, Austin, we've got how many different groups in that area that are active? Well, look, look let me get you. Let me. Add, add something else on this. Singapore has in the, uh, on the, in the island country some Muslim citizens. They were uh, Malays. Remember, because Singapore was once part of a of Malaya of Malaya, and now of course there's Malaysia and and Singapore. But they are anything but ra- radical. Uh, radicals attracted uh, attracted to militant uh, uh, Islamism. Uh, it, it's but it's it's a small a small minority, and they uh, self policing is the way uh, a a, a uh, Singaporean Malay Muslim who happened, he happened to be a professor uh, described it. Uh, and he says, he says, you know, they, they, but he says we know that uh, the Islamic extremists would love to launch an attack in Singapore. Now, this was a conversation I, I had well over a decade ago, fifteen years. But uh, his his point was they'd like to be able to do here in Singapore uh, what they did in Bali. Recall not long after after nine eleven, but. Uh, Get to get back to uh, Africa. There are Islamist influenced attacks in sub-Saharan Africa. I'll get up to the Sahel, as, as Jim was describing the Sahel area, uh, Mali and, and, and the like. Uh, I'll give you an example. Allied Democratic Forces uh, that operate in eastern Congo, they're a Muslim group, a Ugandan rebel Muslim group that has connections to Al-Shabaab and gets money from Al-Shabaab. But as Jim described the phenomena of looking bigger than they really are, we're not talking about uh, a thousands of militia fighters. We're talking about a couple of hundred, maybe at most, and they launch occasional attacks and they get headlines and uh, UN, UN forces do occasionally launch uh, offensive sweeps when they get good intelligence on them. There are, there's a couple of base bases that they uh, have, that, of, of ADF bases that have been destroyed within, within the last year, either by the Congolese army or by uh, UN peacekeepers. And the reports on them is uh, they're pretty desperate circumstances. All right, so they're isolated, but they do have contacts with Al Shabaab. Now re- recall that there were a couple of major terror attacks in Kampala in Uganda. 
won uh, in a, a World Cup uh, during the World Cup several years ago. They blew up. Uh, it was essentially a, a club where everyone was watching uh, uh, football, soccer on on uh, television. There was also uh, an Al Shabaab influenced attack where they uh, the uh, terrorist took over a mall in uh, Kampala. And uh, it, it, it had to be uh, counterattacked by uh, Ugandan uh, security uh, security forces. So they're isolated, but they're spectacular. Now I'm going to move to the Central African Republic just for a second. There you do have, and it's a conflict zone, as, as Jim said. You know that where there's Muslim tribes uh, and encountering non-Muslim tribes, uh, that becomes a differentiator, or it can. It did briefly when Salika, the rebel group that for a while managed to seize the government, most of the key players in Salika were from Muslim tribes. They were Muslims. But now what's happened in the Central African Republic is Salika factionalized. The anti-Balaka militias, that's, uh, and they're predominantly from Christian and animist tribes, they were always factionalized. And you have also places where Muslim tribes people and Christian tribes people cooperate for the same reason you see it in Nigeria, because they despise the terrorists. All they bring is is death and destruction. And this is it's been difficult for the uh, UN peacekeeping force in in uh, the Central African Republic, MINUSCA, to uh, that that has been something that that, that the uh, UN. Uh, peacekeeping force has tried to promote that kind of of, of of mutual defense cooperation. But it's been hard to do for the same reason that a guy with a grenade can show up and kill five people and suddenly it's disrupted, <laughs> disrupted uh, three months of political discussion and negotiation. Uh, zone of chaos. And that's, Jim touched on that. That's one of the techniques that these uh, radical Islamist terrorist groups uh, use. Even They know they're small and marginalized, but they can strike because these areas are poorly, are not secure. There aren't enough security forces to go around. And they have sufficient mobility and, and weapons to launch a small attack like that. And just, and what they're after is, uh, is anarchy and also intimidation uh, to intimidate uh, tribes into being silent, allowing them to try to build up their, pre- uh, their presence. That's been another technique. I think Jim covered Mali pretty uh, darn well. The, the thing is there, that, that Tuareg element, there are, there are Berbers who are radical Islamists, but there are more Berbers who are see themselves as Berbers who've been victimized by the Arabs, and that's the way they refer to it, as well as 
some of the uh, other the Sahel and, uh, and sub-Saharan Afri- uh, African tribes. There is a Berber identity at, at, at play, especially in in uh, in, uh, in Mali, and it's something that uh, that the uh, French forces there are very aware of. Um, that's uh, that's something to point out. It, I, that also applies, Dan, to many of the things that go on in, in, in Congo, even Central African Republic, is that it, it's more tribe than it is uh, religion, and which is one of the problems that, that it's one of the political and, and social problems that the radical Islamists have never uh, been able to uh, confront. They can't kill enough people, aren't strong enough, and uh, the uh, uh, tribal ties are supersede the uh, sectarian religious uh, uh, religious dimension. Uh, that said, to get back to why Jim started his uh, his analysis, these guys can get headlines, and places that where it does matter, let's say Nigeria, because of the of the uh, of the oil, that has been a, a major war, which we've covered. One of the things, though, I was hoping that Jim would bring up was as he's got a piece he wrote just uh, just this week, where he describes that the uh, civilian uh, joint task forces that uh, Nigeria had, which were quite successful in in, in combating Boko Haram, and uh, Jim, those those drew on uh, Muslim and Christian Christian tribes. Yes, the problem they had was that areas of uh, of, Bor- of Borno State, uh, which is where most of the uh, Boko Haram uh, activity has been concentrated were literally depopulated. So there were no civilians left, literally. I mean, they were all in refugee camps. Uh, but in the areas where the population, the local population was not lit- completely driven away, and we're talking several million people, you know, they've, they've created a desert up there uh, between uh, the central uh, Borno State and the and the Lake Chad. And um, uh, yes, they are still useful, uh, but the, uh, the the group, the, the Boko Haram group faction, there's two of them, uh, which is most active, is the one that basically uh, pledged allegiance to ISIL. And they have been extremely businesslike. To give you a rather grim example of it, currently uh, they are trying to extort money and, 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 and freedom for some of their uh, their comrades, their senior comrades, their, uh, their leaders who have been captured. Um by uh, basically taking two Red Cross workers, these are local Nigerians, and another and another Nigerian, a a fifteen year old Christian schoolgirl, uh, favorite target. Uh, you see, they, they they're in their twisted view of things. They like nothing better than a civil war between Christians and Muslims. Um, now the Christians have showed enormous restraint uh, because they they understand that would that would serve nothing but chaos and uh, and uh, and the Islamic terrorists. Um, but they are making a big deal out of this. They've already murdered. They've given deadlines. The government refuses to give in. Uh, but the next one up is the fifteen-year-old schoolgirl, and they're going to milk this for all it's worth. And this. This puts tremendous pressure on the on the government, especially on the uh, Bahari, the president, uh, who's a Muslim and a Fulani. Um, uh, but he realizes this basically just encourages more of it. 
so this is the sort of barbarity uh, that, that they are up to. And again, mainly because they need the money. I mean, the, uh, uh, you know, we cover this regularly. And there are regular reports of literally starving ISIL members, Boko Haram members, uh, coming out and surrendering the, their skin and bones. Uh, there's simply no food. They have no ammunition. They're, 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 their largest activity is raiding, basically raiding a village, grabbing whatever they can, burning whatever else is down, and then uh, hauling off, uh, you know, riding on horses or on foot, you know, herding cattle in front of them and what have you. Uh, when the government troops, you know, if, if they pick a village that hasn't got a, anybody with a uh, cell phone service or a, any kind of community, uh, rapid communications uh, so that they can make their getaway back to a local forest, uh, or what have you, uh, before the, the army uh, can show up. And there's usually no uh, no uh, civilian militia, again, because they hit the poorest areas. So the poorest are the most vulnerable. The people who, who have not got a local, you know, hunter's group. Uh, these, you know, Austin is right. The groups that have the, the, the organized militia, despite their short their shortcomings, which yeah, everybody feared, yes, some of them are going to turn into, you know, gangs, but you got plenty of gangs in Nigeria. A few more is not going to you know, uh, 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 make things any worse uh, than the presence of uh, more uh, Boko Haram or gangs, uh, you know, criminal gangs on steroids. Um, but uh, they're basically going after the poorest of the poor and, and basically killing and burning them out, you know, making their situation even more desperate. And of course, you know, threatening, you know, give me, uh, give me the money or I kill the, the Christian teenage uh, schoolgirl. I mean, it's just horrific. Um, but, you know, that's how they roll, you know, you know, let, let, Islam. Let me make uh, a, a couple of other uh, comments about East Africa, uh, uh, Dan, real, real qu- quickly. Um, <clears throat> there has been some very, very low level Islamist violence and uh, Islamist provoked violence in Kenya over the last eight or nine years. Now, most of there's some of the going on along its border area with with Somalia, but it, it showed up on the coast and was associated oh, this, this, with a, a small uh, group of, of uh, Muslim clerics. Uh, a couple of them were very influenced by uh, al-Qaeda. Uh, this is before the Islamic State rolled out in, in, in 2014. That said, the Kenyan security forces uh, ensured that when they, after a, two or three of these small attacks, that they would go after and find the uh, find the uh, perpetrators. And there was a show of force by the government. Uh, some of this is was in is near the uh, was in the uh, near the port area of Mombasa, which uh, Mombasa was a Arab port at one time, uh, you know, used by Arab Arab traders on the. Uh, uh, Eastern coast uh, of uh, of Africa, and there are uh, Muslim uh, there are Muslims who uh, who live there. Some of this happened too, uh, and uh, again, as I said, along the uh, border area with uh, Somalia, but it was and it was provoked by Al Shabaab, and we're looking back several years uh, now. But this the overwhelmingly. The Kenyan Muslims who lived up there said, we don't want your chaos and anarchy here. 
So there was the self-policing component, too. Say one other thing about Somalia. Jim just said, you know, that Somalia has never been organized. I I wrote a column, and I think it's still up. It is still up. It's about 2003. And basically the joke was Somalia divides into three parts, you know, playing off of Julius Caesar's line about Gaul. But Somalia divides into more than three parts. But we have the Somaliland Republic, which is up in the northwest corner, which is fairly calm and has been, and is it's only, I think Ethiopia is the only country that recognizes it as a sovereign state. I'm pretty sure that's right, Jim, but yeah, so, so yeah, it's just Ethiopia. It's just yeah. Ethiopia. All right. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, given that Ethiopia is the powerhouse in there, that's, that's keeps them alive. Puntland is also pirate land, and Jim mentioned an Islamic state faction there. Um, the Saudis and the United Arab Emirates, the Emiratis, are aware of that group because they have tried to uh, get involved in, uh, believe it or not, with some of the smuggling operations going into Yemen. But there are the uh, the uh, small faction there in Puntland is has close contacts with Puntland pirates, which goes back to the Jim saying a lot of these guys are just gangsters, uh, gangsters uh, in uh, religious garb. Uh, not all of them would would, would ad- admit to it, I'm sure. You've got some rather fierce zealot types, and there may be some there in Puntland, but most of them are, have, they're, they're aligned with the, uh, uh, the pirates. Now, as recent reports we've had on the on strategy page about where Al Shabaab still has some control in some territory, there has some in the, in the central area. You, now you move down to southern Somalia, Jubaland, and there was some concern, actually, by uh, the United Nations and uh, the UN that when uh, Kenya invaded, and then this is before the establishment of the, uh, the UN force in there, uh, and remember Ethiopia already had its forces operating in there, that, that Kenya was going to try to create a buffer state in Jubaland, and uh, that didn't happen. What has happened, though, is that there are still some Al-Shabaab presence there, but again, it's low level, and the uh, it's almost like that it's, you're not going to eradicate it for the reason that we just, uh, I described earlier and Jim touched on as well, that it's so easy to step into a an insecure, unnonsecured uh, village because the military and the national police can't be everywhere and toss a grenade. And Jim was describing what's happening in Nigeria. It's the poorest of the poor that that's, that's, that suffer the most. Uh, if you go through and look at some of the attacks in Congo, it definitely applies to the Central African Republic as well. These attacks are occurring where there are very few uh, soldiers, either from international peacekeeping forces or uh, even a a competent uh, uh, local militia. 
they find a soft spot, and they, as Jim described, the the raiders uh, hitting a place and then running and hiding in the uh, hiding in the jungle. Uh, then they retreat to uh, to wherever their their current base area is, and it's very very hard to eradicate it when you're down to maybe chasing 50 to 100 people. Remember the Lord's Resistance Army, which was not an Islamist group, still has some bands operating in the Central African Republic and occasionally attacking villages in uh, the Northeastern Congo. What are they doing? They're looting in order to, uh, to, to stay alive. But the Lord's Resistance Army within Uganda has been largely defeated. It has been defeated. In fact, is that's uh, there's there, there's no LRA activity of any significance at all in northern Uganda, the Acholi tribal area, where the LR, which was the uh, origin of the uh, Lord's Resistance Army. Uh, that's again, it, it it's not a religious group, not a not a real one. It's not an Islamic group, but uh, it still hasn't been eradicated. And some of these smaller radical Islamist groups, and again, I mentioned uh, the ADF, they continue to survive by being bandits. And occasionally we hear, I think there are good rumors that they get some assistance from Al-Shabaab and in the, uh, in the East and uh, Al-Qaeda in uh, the uh, Islamic Maghreb, which is AQIM, which is what uh, Jim was mentioning, that operates uh, Algeria and uh, Mali and also influences uh, Boko Haram. Jim already uh, touched on that. And again, there's a we've got, had a couple of recent Nigeria uh, posts that uh, that survey all of this. If, uh, if listeners want to go uh, check it out. So, Jim, I guess what will continue to happen in these areas is that these Islamic radicals will continue to try to survive, but it, it doesn't sound like they have much of a future. Well, they have a future in that they have become institutionalized. Uh, the Islamic uh, terrorism, uh, jihadism, I should put it, uh, like I say, it's been around for, for thousands of years, for over a thousand years, uh, ever since the, uh, as some people put it, as modern uh, uh, science, uh, you know, as <clears throat> as the Arabs rediscovered during their brief, uh, you know, uh, renaissance, uh, you know, in the uh, 9th and 10th centuries, ran into the, uh, the basically the hard hardliner uh, Islamists who said, no, no, this is haram, this is forbidden. I mean, basically what happened, you know, again, this does rarely gets mentioned, but it's a, it's very much a, a fact of life to any uh, a Muslim who studies, you know, Islamic history. Um, there was a great flowering of uh, of, of uh, not only uh, rediscovery, as it were, of uh, ancient uh, Greek and uh, and Roman, uh, you know, uh, technology, which was written down, and they captured the manuscripts and were translating them into Arabic. But they had their own developments. You know, a lot of modern math, not a lot, but some of the basic, you know, algebra is basically from an Arab word, uh, and it was uh, a lot of the principles of it were developed by Arabs. Um, but when some of these these new uh, you know uh, secular scholars who were Muslims uh, started uh, saying things which could be interpreted as uh, contrary uh, to the Quran, bingo, 
they were shut down. And that that has been going on. Now, it almost happened in the Christian world, where there were a few of the early, you know, innovators, scientific innovators, literally burned at the stake. Um, but the uh, this was about the same time as you had the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, or when I was in, in Catholic high school in the early 1950s, some of the nuns still called it the Protestant Revolution. That was an interesting uh, historical uh, lesson in itself, which they didn't intend. Uh, and um, but the uh, it was clear that the uh, that the Christians managed to get around that the Muslims did not. Now the Christians had one big advantage. Uh, there are there, there are no quotes in the in the in the Bible, there's, or there's not a lot, you can probably tease something out. Um, uh, there's nothing that says you must constantly be fighting, you know, to, uh, to spread Islam. Uh, it is a, it is a, 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 a offense punishable by death if you try and leave Islam. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, uh, the absolutely, the, the, the worst one is that, uh, uh, the quickest way to heaven is as a holy warrior is dying in the defense of Islam. In other words, the uh, well, of course, and, and uh, above all that is that Islam, the word is derived from the Arabic word for submission. Uh, there is no render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render unto God what is God. Uh, and uh, and there, of course, there is no pope. That was one advantage the, the Christians had early on. They had one central religious authority who could say, yes, we do this, no, we do that. And it was through papal you know, influence, uh, it basically, fortunately for us, in the home of the, the European Renaissance, who said, you know, maybe we should roll with this. You know, let's, let's get these Jesuits together, get them going, and, uh, and the rest is literally history. But Islam has been cursed with not having that. And, and, and they know it. I mean, they're talking about it openly. Um, but it's hard to overcome, you know, it's it's written, as it were, in the Holy Scripture. And when you're dealing with religious fanatics, that's a hard obstacle to overcome. Hey, D- Dan, before we wind up, I'm on a, I, was, I just found this uh, on, on my computer, and it's the August 13th, 2018 uh, update uh, on, in the, our Congo update. And I... <laughs> I think it's indicative of of of, of some of the things uh, Jim and I've been 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 talking about. And again, we're not just 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 to show where, in in many cases, that, that the uh, sectarian and religious dimension is is not not primary. <laughs> A primary driver. It's there. That's taken advantage of by the uh, by Islamist extremists. But all right, here it is. I'm going to uh, read it. Uh, in the Central African Republic, UN peacekeepers report that fragmentation of rebel groups has become a security problem. For example, several armed factions have formed from the Salika rebels. These factions continue to fight with anti-Balaka militia factions. Now, here's one of them. A popular front for the rebirth of Central Africa has emerged as a powerful rogue Salika faction. However, the FPRC, that's what that's the, the popular front, has its own rogue faction, the patriotic movement for Central Africa, that's also emerged now as a rival of the FPRC. And I added this. I, I just the listeners can get an insight in this. I I had about six or seven reports over about a five month period that I used in the background on this. Salika's breakup is a bit ironic. 
in the Sangho language, which is the car's official language, Salika means alliance. The big alliance has dissolved. The new factions appear to be organized along religious, ethnic, and regional lines. The Salika movement was a predominantly Muslim movement, but drew on tribes in the east and north. And that is something that, in Jim's discussion about Nigeria, you know, the regional issues composed with this, and that's something that also needs to be stressed. There were other reasons to cooperate, and there are other reasons to make an alliance with another uh, a rebel faction that had nothing to do with uh, religious differences or religious disagreements. So, chaos in the Central African Republic. Chaos in the Central African Republic. I think that's a good place to end, that it's going to be continue to be a region that has uh, chaos in it. Thank you, gentlemen, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.